0: Let us pray. Almighty God, we ask that you would send your spirit to illuminate the pages of scripture for us this morning. That all obstacles might be taken out of our way, so that we would hear what it is you have to say to us this morning. Amen. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 116 verses 1 through 4 and 12 through 19. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord, O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Our gospel reading comes from the gospel of Luke chapter 24 verses 13 through 35. This is another continuation of the Easter story. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he broke the bread and blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. On Easter... We saw how Mary did not at first recognize Jesus when he showed up at the tomb. Last week, we read about the disciple Thomas, who insisted on visual and physical confirmation of Jesus' resurrection before he would believe what the others said about it. Today, we continue with this discussion of how seeing, believing, and recognition all interact with one another. On the road to Emmaus, Two of Jesus' followers, Cleopas and someone unnamed, maybe his wife, maybe his servant we're not told who it is, but we do know that they were walking and they were talking. They are talking about what had happened, the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, the dramatic trial, the brutal execution, and the strange news of the resurrection from the women who'd gone to the tomb earlier that same day as they are walking and talking these two are joined by a third person who asks them what they are talking about which seems pretty reasonable the unreasonable part is that it's jesus the one they are talking about who comes and joins them and they keep on talking about him because they don't know it's even him the disciples tell jesus they're sad And they're confused because they hadn't seen him. They're telling Jesus this. Part of the recognition problem is that while Jesus had been talking previously about resurrection, they've probably assumed that he was talking about end of days resurrection, later resurrection. They weren't looking for Jesus right now. They weren't expecting him to show up in their midst. It's also interesting that the scripture doesn't say exactly what it was that covered their eyes from recognizing Jesus. For some, I'm sure it was fear. For others, it was probably surprise or not being ready to see him. Maybe skepticism or despair covered their eyes. Maybe grief over the end of this season in their lives and their ministry. It's also fascinating how Jesus doesn't bully his way into making them recognize him, as many of us might have done. He could have. He could have told them he knew what they were talking about. Instead, he met them exactly where they were, literally and figuratively, and he asked them what they were talking about. Sometimes the thing that you really need in a crazy, topsy-turvy situation is to verbally process what's been going on. You just need someone to listen. So Jesus does. He listens. And after being filled in, he points to God in the situation. And the disciples are blown away by this, but they still don't quite see that it's Jesus right in front of them. Sometimes it's not just the seeing with our eyes, but seeing through experience and action and community that we need. It's not until the disciples have welcomed Jesus in to stay the night with them and they've shared their food with him and in the breaking of the bread, they recognize him. It was that community and that love, that hospitality toward a stranger. It was the act of sharing a meal together that triggered their souls to see him in their midst. It was the sacramental act of breaking bread in which he was revealed to them. Hospitality is endlessly important in our understanding of what we're here for and in our ability to see Jesus in the world around us. The thing that stands out most to me in this passage is the response of these followers after they realize who it is that's with them. When Jesus tells them he's going to keep traveling, they insist That it's getting too dark and too late and it's not safe for him to travel out on the road anymore. But what is presumably a little while later, they've had time to break bread and eat together. They are so excited about this encounter with Jesus that they rush out in the dangerous dark they had just warned him not to go out in. To go back to Jerusalem, almost seven miles, to tell the others about this encounter. I can tell you from personal experience that even if you're running, seven miles on foot is going to take at least an hour, and that's if you're really fast and well-trained. In spite of the danger of being out at dark, they rushed out for at least an hour's journey, probably more like two, without any regard to the danger on the road. Even after Jesus' physical presence was gone, he was still there, and they still knew it. This story moves from isolation to community. Two lone travelers, leaving the chaos of the city behind, come across one lone traveler. And through that, God makes space for community to be formed and nurtured. The disciples gain insight into their experience with Jesus by talking together about it, and Jesus shows up and they in turn share it with others. And I know I've said this several times lately, but when we as a congregation are exploring our place in the community and in the world, it bears repeating. We tend to miss Jesus when he shows up in new or unexpected or weird places. Our eyes are obscured from recognizing him by a variety of things. Fear, individualism, anger, stereotyping others, nostalgia. There are so many, and they're different for each and every one of us and for each and every community and congregation. And they're very hard things to set aside. They're often hard things to even recognize in the first place. But the communities that thrive are the ones that are willing to take those blinders off. We need to know ourselves as individuals. We need to know the things that tend to cover our own eyes. We need to know ourselves as a community and the things that tend to cover our communal eyes. Because faith without self-reflection and contemplation gets stale and it gets comfortable with the things that blind us from seeing Jesus in the world. Jesus interrupts our conversations in the craziest ways sometimes. And that's a good thing. We have some great conversations together. We have important conversations together. But there is only so far we can go without Jesus breaking through and illuminating scripture and the world and our experiences for us. Sometimes Jesus interrupts our conversations through difficult circumstances in our lives or drastic changes in our season of life. Sometimes it's through the realization that in order to stay together as a vibrant community of believers, we have to do something different than we've been doing. These interruptions are never easy to deal with. But if we embrace his intrusion into our journey, we begin to see things. We begin to see through what is blocking our sight. We begin to recognize him right there with us. We need Jesus to help us see through the things that are stopping us from living out our calling to bring his gospel of freedom and love and justice and hospitality and generosity to the world. Our worship here on Sunday morning is important. Gathering as a community to hear the word and sing praise, to participate in the sacraments of communion and baptism is central to living a life of faith. It is through the breaking of the bread that the disciples clearly realized that the one who had joined their journey was Jesus himself. That's why it's important for our liturgy to have a flow and a rhythm to it. The familiar helps to shed light on the rest of our time. It prepares us to go back out, refreshed, and with new vision of Jesus to share with others. We can see him in the ritual and in the tradition. Ritual and tradition are not bad. They absolutely have an important place, as long as we remember that it is because through them God can speak. We must be cautious not to make idols of them, to turn them into the blinders that are standing in the way of seeing Jesus. If they're blocking our view, we need to ask God to remove the obstruction in front of our eyes. The travelers to Emmaus got to know Jesus through their hospitality, and then they rushed out to tell the others how often do we get so excited by what happens when we embrace others that we rush out to tell everyone how incredible Jesus is how many of us call up our friends on Sunday afternoon and say you wouldn't believe how Jesus showed up in our church today where did he show up in yours how often do we let our time together in worship rock us so hard that we can't help but go tell others how incredible it was. This is about being known, not just being seen. We see the neighborhoods we live in and go to church in every day, but how well do we know them? Our neighbors here on Beaver Avenue see this church every day, but do they know it? Are we practicing hospitality? Would the people who see this building day after day have any idea of who we are as a community? Do we welcome them in when it's dark or dangerous or hot? Yesterday, I ran the Nashville Marathon with my sister. We were registered for the full 26.2 miles, and we actually dropped down to the 13.1-mile half marathon the morning of because the weather was awful, dangerously awful. It was so hot, the race directors were encouraging people every few miles to consider switching to a shorter distance than they were registered for. By the time we finished the half marathon, it was almost 85 degrees and almost 90% humidity. I can't imagine having spent several more hours in that. We had a good time together because my sister and I don't see each other often, but it was gross out. And the race didn't have a ton of spectators either, which was strange for a marathon that goes straight through downtown of a relatively large city. I think partly I'm just used to the Pittsburgh Marathon, which is my goal race this year, where people pour out of the woodwork to cheer. Pittsburgh does not care what sport it is. If a sport is happening, we are going to support it And sheer, and that's what happens with the marathon. There's hardly a yard of the course here that is not covered by smiling, cheering fans. And downtown Nashville was strangely empty for most of the course. It was eerie, with one notable exception. We did not pass one single church that was not out in force, passing out water, spraying hoses at the hot, weary athletes, offering use of their restrooms so you didn't have to wait in line at the porta potty. There was a lady at one of the churches who offered to spray down my poor pasty sister and I with sunscreen partway through the race. Everyone in that town missed out on some real fun and community participation and fellowship except The churches, they nailed it. All the runners, all 40,000 of them, came away remembering that the friendliest, kindest people in Nashville are the church folk. Here in our little part of the world, we had the joy over Holy Week to spend some time worshiping with other churches. Not just the sister church that you all share me with, But other local congregations as well. On Good Friday, some of us joined in on a beautiful service in Sewickley in the afternoon with several other churches and much of the community, including several dogs. Later that afternoon, our friends from Mount Nebo Presbyterian joined us for another service. On Easter Sunday, some of us worshipped at the top of Observatory Hill in an ecumenical sunrise service that has been happening for over 80 years. These sorts of collaborative efforts are encouraging. They're encouraging for folks in the churches because we get to see where the other faithful Christians are in our community. They're encouraging for communities that sometimes have lost faith to see that there are those who haven't, to see that churches can work together and worship together. These are a way to get to know our community better, and they're a way to like the, the travelers in today's passage, to run and tell other disciples that we have seen Jesus. We're not just supposed to tell outsiders about the gospel. We're supposed to be their friends and cheerleaders and protectors as well. And we're also supposed to encourage other Christians with the gospel. So this week, I encourage each of you to take some time reflecting on how well you know your community, the community you live in, your church community, the community your church is in, the other churches in your area. Take time reflecting on what might be blocking you from seeing Jesus around you. Is it fear of something? Is it skepticism? Is it grief over how things used to be but aren't anymore? Give those things up to God in prayer and reflection And ask for Jesus to reveal himself to you in the singing of hymns, in the breaking of bread, in the reading of scripture. And then when you see him, go and tell the others. Go and spread the news. Amen.